as a naturopath, we study the gut so much. Like we look at stools and poops all day. Like that's all. <laughs> <literally. laughs> Exciting work. <laughs> <laughs> like you think that a naturopath wouldn't give a shit, but we definitely do. We do. We really care. <laughs> Hi guys and welcome back to the Rachel J podcast. We're talking all things wellness and the lifestyle to help you do life better. I'm your host, Rachel J. It's been so great seeing everyone enjoying the recent episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Now, I do know for a fact that some of you have been listening to the podcast for a while. You're all active listeners, but you may not be subscribed. Now, this is what came back in the stats at the end of last year that so many of you actively listen to the podcast but aren't subscribers. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. It honestly does make such a difference. So it will help us grow the podcast for you. And I want to be able to give you more inspiring conversations so we can all learn from our amazing guests. This week, I'm sitting down with internationally recognized naturopath, founder of Boost Your Biology and the host of the Boost Your Biology podcast. Welcome to the show, Lucas Owen. Hey, Rachel. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. And I mean, I feel like we were just saying before we hit record that your body of work is so, it's such a niche area, but I do feel that obviously everybody who's looking to improve their health and well-being can benefit from all the work that you're doing. So we're going to get stuck into all of that stuff today in this chat. So I'm super excited about that. And, you know, obviously you're into helping people create a very healthy mind and body and you've gone through your own sort of journey of having health issues and and delving deeper into finding ways to enhance your wellness and you focus very much on the physiological the psychological aspects that we can actually change to better our own health but you've also mentioned that you notice that people around you just sort of have accepted this kind of suboptimal health. And so I'm interested to know what does suboptimal health mean? Because I feel like making that observation means that you've probably seen that quite a lot through a lot of different people that you've come across, right? So what does that mean? Yeah, well, that's funny you bring that up because um, I remember it would have been around year 11 or year 12 as I was you know, studying some of the health subjects. I think it was like just physical education. I was looking at like just the de- general demographic and like how people around me were just accepting like operating and 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 struggling through their days and like struggling with low energy and um, complaining about poor sleep or complaining about digestive issues. And I was like, you know what? I don't think that has to be the norm. Like you don't have to suffer from these symptoms and these side effects every single day. And that's when I got fascinated into the whole world of like, biohacking and understanding your biology and hence the name for my brand boost your biology um you know came about just purely with a a fascination like i was really interested in understanding different like chemical pathways different hormones different neurotransmitters and then realizing that we can truly take control of our biology by manipulating our sleeping patterns, our nutrition, our lifestyle, our exercise habits. Um, and then from there, I just realized, you know what, if I get all these things dialed in, then the chances of me having an optimal day or like a per- the, the perfect day, which for me is like highly productive, very motivated, very driven, that goes up. And so I thought, 
you know, if I can teach this to other people to enable themselves to, you know, hijack or harness their biology to their favor, then they can also have an incredible day too. So that's sort of like how I really wanted to position myself in the health optimization space. Yeah. And I think it's really cool to have that link. And I so often feel like we've definitely seen talking about health optimization or wellness in a space of performance for athletic or physical capability, but then actually linking it to other areas of your life, like being productive and effective. Everybody can relate to that. Not everybody wants to be a top performing athlete, but everybody can relate to wanting to be their best, have enough energy to go about their day, whatever it is that they're doing. And I feel like that's such a great way to frame approaching your health and wellness. So Mm. as you were mentioning before, you know, you've obviously gone through your own journey, but you've also had your own health issues as well and and sort Mm. of went through that journey. And that's when you sort of started to delve in a little bit deeper into some of these things. So can you take me back to when you were going through all of that stuff? What was actually going on for you at the time? Yeah, well, I I say this to a lot of people with my, my, my own journey. I mean, my dad's a pharmacist and, um, I, you know, from a very young age, I thought I was, you know, very privileged and lucky that I could have access to any medication. Like just he, he would teach me so much about different drugs and different medications and antibiotics. And I actually suffered from really bad reflux or heartburn from a oh, very wow. young age. Like I actually used to get it even, even if I'd eat very clean, like very healthy food, I'd still get like this reflux or heartburn. And I remember my dad would, you know, just say, here, take this reflux medication, which was back in the day, like a Nexium or proton pump inhibitor. Um, and I remember, you know, I would use it as like a, as like a crux. I basically, I'd cheat my way through eating bad food. I'd be like, no, oh, it's all good. I can eat this like cookie or this, this ice cream. And I know that I've got the, the reflux medication to counteract the heartburn. If I ever, if I ever got the heartburn or reflux, and that's when I was like, okay, now there's a re- do I really have a medication deficiency? Like does my body really need this drug in order to function optimally? Or is there something else going on? And what is the absolute root cause of this reflux and heartburn? And the keyword there, well the keywords there are root cause. And that's where mm-hmm. like I was really interested in learning about like what are the fundamental underlying pathways that are triggering this reflux. And that's when I learned about the importance of um, different biological pathways such as bile production and and stomach acid production. And then I learned that actually the the medication was actually making me reliant upon it um, because it was suppressing stomach acid. But my ultimate goal in the end was actually I had to do the opposite. I had to actually increase stomach acid through bitter foods and bitter herbs. And I ended up doing that through a naturopathic point of view, which is what I studied. I'm, you know, qualified naturopath. Um, and then from there, I realized, you know, this, this whole way of this holistic thinking and getting to the root cause of disease and illness should be the best way to target disease and dysfunction. And that really should be the principle and the way in which I operate, which is to also then pass on that message, what I've learned through my own experience um, to, a, to a wider audience. And then, yeah, that's pretty much how I started my own, my own brand. <laughs> yeah. I feel like so many people and so, I mean, so many people 
that I've spoken to on the podcast has they've had some sort of personal journey. Everybody in the wellness yeah. space, I feel like, has had some sort of journey where they've either gone through something or they've witnessed something or someone close to them have ex- has experienced something where they're starting to then question what's actually going on and mm. to dig a little bit deeper and find out what is a better way. Because like you said, I do think obviously the mainstream healthcare system that we're so used to, we are programmed to think about medication to to fix you know certain illnesses and uh, disease in the body I guess so that holistic approach is a is a really great way and like you said you were you've got all the different areas that we look at to kind of optimize well, health and well-being overall now so you mentioned before you talk quite a lot about biohacking and to me that word seems all very scientific so can you explain to people listening what exactly is biohacking? And, and we'll get into some of your favorite biohacks as well. Yeah, of course. So I guess the term biohacking can really, I guess, like scare people off and make them think that it's some fringe word that they can't relate to or they can't connect to. But really, when we look at biohacking, basically what it refers to is, is uh, self-optimization or, or human biology optimization. So really, the premise behind biohacking is... Um, manipulating your lifestyle, your nutrition, your supplements, your sleep, exercise, all to optimize your biology and also your psychology. So basically, this term biohacking, you know, really is um, a way for high performers to sort of tap into the ability to perform at their peak every single day. And so a typical biohack that I guess like you know, maybe like 95% of your audience has probably started doing is, you know, waking up in the morning and going outside and stepping outside and viewing, you know, getting the sunlight to hit your face to wake you up in the morning. Like that is a, that is a very simple biohack that people are probably doing on a daily basis without even realizing it. Another one could be as simple as um, going for a walk barefoot on the sand or on the beach. Like that is a biohack because that has been shown to um, decharge and de-stress the body. Um, it has an effect on the electrons in the body. Um, it has like a, it's that's actually known as earthing or grounding. Mm. Um, and so, really, this this term biohacking, yeah, basically just enables us to perform at our peak and to live optimally. Yeah, so it's a range of I guess lifestyle choices and making little tweaks to like those uh, those areas that you mentioned and just kind of making them incorporate them as part of our daily routine in a way so that when it's accumulative, it's creating that really optimal health and, and lifestyle that we want, right? Exactly, yeah. And, and yeah. also I find that a lot of people who, um, who get into biohacking actually – some of them actually have lived the complete opposite lifestyle before that. Like they've lived a very unhealthy lifestyle. Like perhaps they're like, you know, constantly drinking alcohol, they were addicted to, to drugs or they had a terrible diet or they never exercised. And then all of a sudden they did a complete 180 and they're like, all right, I want to get as healthy as possible. And that's when they got into this like biohacking. They started putting butter in their coffee, like bulletproof coffee, um, taking nootropics to enhance their brain function and so on and so forth. 
Yeah, amazing. I, I feel like, so I read a few of your favorite biohacks and I feel like many of us can benefit from these. So firstly, one of them is infrared saunas, which is, I feel like it's becoming a lot more mainstream these days. And I'm a bit of a fan of these, although I don't use them that regularly. So tell me about this practice and, and what firstly is the benefit for doing it? And for people who haven't really dabbled in infrared saunas, can you give us a little bit of a rundown of, of what it is and why it's good for our body? I guess, and minds, I guess. Yeah, of course. So the use of infrared saunas has now been very well established in terms of um, promoting cardiovascular health, improving circulation, helping with skin healing, helping with wound healing. And so there's actually quite a lot of literature now established that sauna usage can activate something known as heat shock proteins, which occur in the human body. And these heat shock proteins actually, once they're activated through you know, high temperatures or hot environments, it can actually promote these longevity genes. So they basically activate genes that encode for longer lifespan and they can actually decrease the risk of various forms of diseases and illnesses. So really, I mean... Infrared, so it doesn't even need to be infrared sauna. It can be, you know, a, a, an actual proper steam sauna or a wet sauna. Um, and we're looking at around two to three times per week, ideally, um, anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes per session. I think the best time to do it would be post-workout um, because that's going to help, you know, you're already, for, you know, you're wanting to relax and unwind and you, your body, your muscles are probably quite stiff. Doing a post-workout is ideal. Um, just making sure that you're drinking plenty of, uh, you know, water, high quality water, plenty of electrolytes, salts being the most important. Um, and so, as far as like a general biohack that people can implement, definitely consider, you know, utilizing sauna usage. Mm. What do people have any pr- any specific problems in terms of why they might use an infrared sauna to to kind of assist with certain certain issues that might be dealing with. So instead of just it being, I guess, guess an enhancement, is there mm. certain health or well-being problems that people might face that they would go to a sauna to alleviate those? Yeah, it's a great question. So in terms of one key reason to utilize saunas, um, one of them would be if they're wanting to regulate their nervous system. So if somebody's suffering from something known as autonomic dysfunction, which is an imbalance between the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, Utilizing a sauna can help to push or or nudge the nervous system more towards the rest, sex, Mm -hmm. and digest pathway, which is the parasympathetic nervous system, and less less, um, towards the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight. So, Really, it can have a positive effect on something known as your heart rate variability, which is a, a common metric that a lot of um, health in- enthusiasts are you know, really passionate about, it, which is that heart rate variability or HRV score, which uh, heart, heart rate variability is a, um, it's a metric that's utilized. So it's measuring the time in between your heartbeats. And so most people know that their general resting heart rate is usually around 60 beats per minute. But a heart rate variability measures the time in between each heartbeat. Right. And so as you get older and as you, it, when, as you become healthier, you want your HRV to go high, 
higher. So a higher heart rate variability is actually a good thing for your health and it's actually a proxy or a measure of your risk factors for various cardiovascular diseases. So those people who have a higher heart rate variability, they actually have a decreased risk of cardiovascular disease as well. Yeah, right. Basically, it's just more of a pause in between each heartbeat is what you're saying, a a space, yeah? Yeah, so it's like we we don't want our heart to be beating in a synchronistic synchronistic, um, pace. We want it to be asynchronistic so that it's actually, you know, quite variable between heartbeats. Yeah, right. That's really fascinating. And I guess what you were saying there about the parasympathetic system and the sympathetic system is, again, you could relate that to, I suppose, uh, anxiety. And a lot of people experience anxiety, which, which puts you in that fight or flight state. And so that's a reason why perhaps saunas might be good to incorporate into your routine if you do experience anxiety symptoms regularly, you know. Absolutely. And also as part of that, Rachel, is um, another benefit of sauna usage is that they can actually increase neurogenesis in the brain. Um, So neurogenesis is the creation of new neurons in the brain. And um, we get the same effect from going for a run, you know, 20 minute, 20 to 30 minute run. We're releasing endorphins and healthy brain chemicals. Um, But actually utilizing a sauna can stimulate something known as BDNF or brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Um, and BDNF actually helps to regenerate, repair um, damaged neurons and help to prevent things like Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases. Mm, so there's just so many benefits. To, so we need to get into the sauna, guys. That's that's the whole <laughs> point of this. <laughs> it's, good, it's good for everyone. Um, so the other thing that I've read definitely about one of your other favorite biohacks. And I found this interesting because I've not, I feel like I've mostly heard things about boosting your serotonin levels. However, I feel like what I read was that one of your favorite biohacks is to lower your serotonin. So can you explain what serotonin is for people listening? And did I get that correct? Is that what yeah. I read correctly? Yeah. Why we should be lowering it? And why is that a biohack? Yeah. Now this is a, it's a very controversial statement, but I'm, I'm really convinced now based on many of the research papers that I've looked at and also understanding the different neurotransmitters. You got dopamine, serotonin, you got GABA, you got acetylcholine. The brain is always producing different amounts of these neurochemic, these neurotransmitters, which, which basically have a huge impact on the way that we think, feel, and behave. And so if we look at um, these different neurotransmitters, the one that gets you know talked about the most is serotonin. Like you'll see tons of products and um, healthy habits and things that are designed to increase serotonin. But the question that I want to really you know ask that will stimulate your mind and actually get you thinking is, how do you feel if you eat a bowl of white rice with turkey? Like how how would a person generally feel? To, like, do you get sleepy after eating turkey? Generally speaking, yes, right? I would say yes, yeah. Like you get fatigued, you get tired, you get groggy, you get you just want to take a nap. Well, that is the impact, that is the effect of tryptophan, which is found in turkey. And that tryptophan gets, you know, makes its way once you consume the, the turkey, you digest it. Eventually the tryptophan gets into the blood, crosses the blood-brain barrier when you have carbohydrates with that, so that the, the rice and the turkey. And 
do, do you feel like you're like, this is the question I ask people is like, do you feel more motivated to do work? Do you feel more driven to go to the gym? Do you feel more um, energetic and, and aroused and excited and enthusiastic about life? Most people don't really notice that effect from turkey and, and boosting serotonin. So then the question then becomes, is serotonin really the neurotransmitter that we want to be all increasing or is it only a certain subset of the population that actually has a serotonin deficiency that actually benefits from boosting serotonin? And that is why with serotonin, I like to emphasize that serotonin generally speaking has an antagonistic or a, a competing relationship with dopamine. Now, mm. dopamine is the neurotransmitter that I love and I think a lot of people also love the effects of dopamine. Dopamine does the opposite. It actually promotes um, action. It makes you confident. It brings out your personality. It facilitates um, goal-oriented behavior. It builds resilience. It makes you not want to give up. In mm. fact, serotonin increases as you start to fatigue during exercise. So one of the factors that actually contributes to like feeling fatigued as you exercise is actually the buildup of serotonin. So serotonin actually makes you more fatigued during yeah, exercise. Right. Mm. Super, super fascinating because I don't think I've, yeah, I've never heard that conversation. And like you said, most of the time it's about incre the, the, the conversation is around increasing serotonin. So it is a really interesting conversation <laughs> and something to think about. It's definitely something to think about, right? to question and dig in further. Now, supplementation, I feel like is another area that, you know, I feel like a lot of people are taking supplements for something. And as a naturopath, obviously that's very much part of the practice as well. So I do want to touch on a, a few kind of key problems that people might be facing that supplements may help them with. Anxiety is one of them. I feel like Everybody for some reason, and maybe COVID has got something to do with that, but everybody seems to have some form of anxiety or a lot of people I know struggle with anxiety. So how can supplementation help with something like anxiety? Because again, we're talking about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system there. That's the fight or flight mode that your body is in, that physiological state. What sort of supplements could we look for to assist with something like anxiety, which is a you know sort of main problem? Yeah, so when we look at anxiety, it's pretty well established that one key neurotransmitter does play a pretty predominant role in, you know, the ability to stay calm and and not overthink and not feel tense, and that is GABA. So G A B A, GABA. Um, GABA is a an inhibitory neurotransmitter. It's a neurotransmitter that helps calm the mind. It shuts off overthinking. It reduces rumination. It it basically calms us down. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people like drinking alcohol because alcohol really targets that particular pathway within the brain, makes us feel more verbally fluent, socially relaxed and things like that. So when I said before with the different neurotransmitters, there's actually the ability to supplement with GABA itself. So we can actually go on Amazon or iHerb, go online, we can literally order pure GABA capsules and GABA itself can be taken in supplemental form to actually reduce that anxiety response to help reduce stress and also promote that autonomic balance. Um, and in addition to that, it's also beneficial before bed to help with sleep. Um, so there's a benefit there in terms of you know supplementing with GABA. 
And the sort of dosage range that most people would be aiming for is anywhere from 250 milligrams all the way up to 750 milligrams per day. Yeah, amazing. I feel like this is so helpful because I think there's so many ways to approach different, I guess, health and well-being issues, right? And and understanding this, and especially like you said, your approach is, is a holistic view. So we're looking at looking at everything and being able to, like you said, just tweak little bits to optimize and create that optimal well-being. I feel like that's super, super helpful. Now, another big area that I think people struggle with a lot is gut health and gut regulation. This obviously is a, a massive uh, area and affects a lot of different functions in the body, the body's ability to digest foods, absorb nutrients and all of those kinds of things. So can you speak a little to gut health and, and what we can do in terms of supplements that might assist in this area as well? Because I feel like you definitely can take things that will help optimize your functioning of the gut. Absolutely. And um, you probably heard the saying, the gut is the second brain. You know, that's yes. oftentimes reported quite a lot. Um, the gut really is actually the first brain because the gut actually outnumbers the brain in terms of how many neurotransmitters the gut can produce. So when it comes to gut health, obviously it is, as a naturopath, we study the gut so much. Like we look at stools and poops all day. Like that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting work. <laughs> <laughs> like you think that a naturopath wouldn't give a shit, but we definitely do. We, do. <laughs> we really care. <laughs> yeah. um, but if we look at like different, you know, stool, can't, like looking at the stool, the health and quality of your stool is really it's indicative of your internal um, health and digestive capacity. Um, so if we're looking at ways to improve gut health, well, we need to understand different foods and potentially drinks that may be aggravating the gut or damaging the gut lining. So the gut has a particular lining. Um, and so there's something known as leaky gut, which is really commonly talked about. It's you know marketed everywhere. It is a real thing. A leaky gut is real. It basically means that your intestinal lining um, becomes weaker over time and then small food particles can actually make its way through the gut. The classic example is gluten. Um, yes. Gluten, can, you know, for some people they're really sensitive to gluten, can damage the gut lining and they can experience autoimmune issues related to that. Now, how do we then seal the gut and heal the gut so that we don't um, exacerbate these autoimmune diseases and conditions. So there are many ways to do this. Um, one way is to supplement with the amino acid L-glutamine. So glutamine in pretty high doses, between 10 to 20 grams per day, can actually have a healing effect on the gut lining um, and really help with you know, sealing that uh, tight junction and enabling you know, better digestion and things like that. And then there's various probiotics and prebiotics that can have a beneficial effect on the gut microbiota. Um, one in particular that I'm a massive fan of, um, which is only relatively new in Australia. It's not really that popular here yet. It's massive in the US, of course. Mm -hmm. we just, we're just five years behind the US, <laughs> yeah. as always. Um, this one here is called Akamandia. Now, um, I promise you it's not a swear word, but it, it's... Um, <laughs> Akamanzia. Yeah, Akamanzia is a yeah. is a beneficial one. 
Okay, so that's one we've got to look out for. And we'll probably see that on the Australian market in the next few years, I suppose. Because like I said, we are a little bit behind the US. No, that's really helpful. I feel like, I mean, even just personally, I feel like talking to a lot of my girlfriends, so many people have had at some point in their life some issue with their gut health and they've either gone to see a naturopath or had to go see some sort of health professional to get some assistance with that. And there's a lot of other issues around, you know, food intolerances and things like that. So what's your take on that? Because I've heard some different theories about food intolerances around what it's caused by, et cetera, et cetera. So what's your approach to food intolerances and is it actually an intolerance to the food or is there something else going on? Well, this is a, I mean, food intolerances can be very complicated to actually diagnose and and assess. And there's various different like food intolerance tests on the market. Some of them are very like vague in terms of the results that you get. Like recently, I just did one and it came back and said that I'm really sensitive to eggs. Mm -hmm. But when I eat eggs and when I consume eggs, I feel completely fine. I have no symptoms whatsoever. So they can sort of be like hit and miss and it's a little bit tricky to to diagnose based upon a food intolerance test. But, well, first of all, the most cost-effective approach is to be extremely self-aware. So this comes back to self-experimentation. Let's just say, Rachel, you decide to cut out gluten for two weeks. Let's just say you run that experiment on yourself and you're like, I want to quit gluten for two weeks. And like, do you notice, are your symptoms, have they improved? Do you feel any better? Is your energy better? Do you feel like your stool's better? Do you feel like your skin's better? Um, If you notice any of these effects, then maybe that means that your body agrees or your body doesn't agree with having gluten. Another example could be dairy. You might want to decide to cut, because a lot of people are very sensitive to dairy, lactose, they're lactose intolerant. Um, But, you know, this ultimately comes back to just being like ruthless with experimenting. You need to just, see how you respond, monitor your body, and also don't underestimate the impact of how um, there's something known as a delayed IgE reaction where if you consume a certain food that's aggravating to your body, you may not get symptoms until 24 to 48 hours after consuming that food. Wow, yeah, So that's where it gets a little bit tricky to like exactly dial in and know exactly what's affecting you. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that would, yeah, be difficult to, if you've eaten something for dinner, say the night before, you might not experience symptoms till the next night. So then you might be thinking, well, maybe it's the dinner that I've just eaten, for example. So I guess, like you said, it's, it's good to track, I would say almost and journal what you're feeling after, after each meal and, or if you experience anything a day or so after and then perhaps repeat the same food to just test if it actually is that a day ago that you ate that is causing the symptoms, I suppose, right? Oh, absolutely. I think um, like doing some sort of food log or food diary, like obviously you don't want to get too orthorexic about it because you can become like you can be hyper obsessed with your health. And, you know, I've been there before. I know a number of my <laughs> my naturopathic friends have also been there. But I think, I actually think, 95% of the students that I was studying with at in at naturopathy school had some degree of orthorexia because yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, everyone's hyper-focused on their health and things like that. But yeah, yeah. definitely like self-awareness is key mm-hmm. and like 
is a doctor really going to be able to figure that out for your body? Like it's going to be very tricky unless you have, unless you provided that information to your doctor, you can really figure it out yourself if you if you're like really self-aware and you do some sort of um, food tracking yeah yeah so it's to be conscious and even when you're eating be mindful of how it feels and I so you know in in life now we're rushing everywhere we live such a fast-paced life that often when we do eat we're not even conscious of what we're eating we're not eating slowly we we don't really feel anything because we're doing other things. So it's just make, making sure that we're mindful of, of what the effects of the food that we're actually, the nutrition that we're actually putting into our bodies, what effect that has on our daily function. So speaking mm. of nutrition, because that's another area there that that I guess is so important and obviously related to gut health, what's your general suggestion for people in terms of nutrition? What how because there's so many different nutritional approaches, obviously, and and of course, if you have certain symptoms, then you might adopt a certain way of eating to address that. But generally speaking, if we're just at baseline, how are we? How should we be eating to optimize for optimal well-being and functioning in our bodies? Well, the the most important thing when it comes to nutrition is to focus on foods that are high in bioavailable nutrients, which basically means consuming foods that yield or they possess an extremely high amount of vitamins and minerals. Um, And so this basically means that we're going to be cutting out these highly processed sugars and highly processed foods which are the foods that unfortunately taste amazing. Like, Why is that actually? <laughs> why are all the foods that actually aren't that great for us, why do they taste so good? <laughs> well, it comes back to um, like first of all like an energy balance in the body and also like the um, what happens to our taste buds. So when we um, consume hyperpalatable foods, they can actually shift and manipulate the microbiome to then want to crave more of that food in the future. Mm. So when we, that's why it's really hard to like stop eating sugar straight away. Like that first few days, like is really difficult. But then, you know, once you adjust and adapt, your microbiome changes, and then your your um, preference for certain foods actually changes over time as well. Yes, I've I've actually I have actually done that before, and I feel like it's almost like it resets your set point. So. If, for example, if you haven't had sugar for a long time or if you're not eating sugar, when you do actually go to eat sugar, then it tastes really, really yeah. sweet, overpoweringly sweet, that, but not in a good way. And so like you like you said, it, it does – I've definitely experienced that, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an effect that we see. And there's actually – I mean, if we're looking at different ways to like counteract sugar cravings, there's actually one herb that we learned about in naturopathy school um, – Really, really fascinating. It's called the sugar destroyer herb. Uh, <laughs> it's um, its Latin name is Gymnema sylvestre, something like that. Um, and that one there, we experimented with in, at school. We played around with it, and what it does is, if you take it in a in a tincture form, it actually will block the um, sweet tasting re- um, receptors on your tongue, so that you cannot taste anything sweet. Um, so that's wow. actually yeah, that's crazy. But then you can't. So what? What if you eat fruit? You can't taste even natural sugars. No, it will it will blunt and block, block everything. The, yeah, but it'll also then work in the gut to like not make you crave sugar as right. well. Yeah, right. 
sugar destroyer. We need to get some of those. <laughs> now, the other thing you talked about was sleep hacks. And I think this is, again, sleep, I think, is, is a big topic of conversation. I think it's something that we obviously all know. We need to get a good night of sleep and all that kind of stuff. But what are the small habits around our sleep routine that we can actually implement to actually have a optimal sleep throughout the night? Well, definitely one factor that really plays a huge role in the quality of our sleep is actually making sure we're sleeping in a very dark environment. Um, And that means to like minimize any artificial light, including the lights that are on your alarm clocks and, and just different things that might illuminate a little bit of LED light. Any sort of blue, blue to white light will suppress melatonin levels and that will massively affect your sleep quality. Um, so I actually like to sleep using uh, you know, a really powerful eye mask, one that actually blocks out all the, all the peripheral light so that I'm sleeping in a completely pitch black dark environment. Um, and then in addition to that is utilizing these blue light blocking glasses at nighttime. Um, so basically what these are is they're special glasses that have an orange filter and they can also be applied to normal glasses where they filter out any blue white light from hitting your eyes and it's because blue and white light actually lowers melatonin production so if you wear these blue light blocking glasses um, about three hours before bedtime you'll generally feel quite sleepy and drowsy after wearing them so that was probably out of all the different biohacks Rachel that I've tried over the years I would say that wearing blue light blocking glasses has been a staple in my sleep routine for at least six years now. Yeah, wow. It's interesting that you say that it actually makes you sleepy and, and that just goes to show you the effects that it has of allowing that light to hit directly into your eyes. So blocking it out actually makes you sleepy and mm. I guess enables your body to do the natural thing of, of shutting down and, and rest and recovery and all those kinds of things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like most people you know, have heard about melatonin supplements or taking melatonin. Um, I recently did an Instagram post actually today on when not to use melatonin and, and how to use melatonin. So if people, you know, want to learn more about that, they can check that out on my my Instagram profile. But yeah, definitely if you want to naturally, if you want you want to help your body to naturally produce melatonin, um, then, you know, wearing these blue locking, blue light blocking glasses three to four hours before bed is, is, is amazing. Mm, amazing. So that's another, that's a sleep hack that we should all implement to start to get that sleep nighttime routine happening for the body. Amazing. Well, I've got the final three questions for you, Lucas. So I haven't pre-warned Lucas about these either. Um, <laughs> so first question is what drives you? Wow. So I would say achieving respect. Like for me, when I gain a huge amount of respect from people, particularly people that I look up to or value or um, or, or inspire me, um, gaining their respect, that really, really motivates me and really drives me and, and makes me want to, you know, leave a legacy behind that, that, that changes lives really. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's nice. I feel like having those kinds of people, aspirational people that we look up to, yeah, I feel like that's such a, it's, it's such a common driver to be able to, to move towards that direction, right? Mm. Now, the next question I have for you is, if you had to redo or relive something in your life and do it differently, what would it be and why? Oh, gee. All right. If I had to redo my 
university studies, I would go back and say to myself, um, start building up your network and collaborating even earlier. Like just yeah. start earlier because when I when I ingrain that into my mindset that there are no like um, there are, there's no competition like ev- you're all here to win. Just like collaborate with your so-called enemies <laughs> or your competitors mm. and just, you know, collaborate. So that's definitely one is like if I had to go back and redo that, I would do that earlier and just be like, you know what, let's um, let's collaborate or find a way to, to do things together because that would have actually probably accelerated my growth even faster. Mm. So just to, just to start, just to do it, right? Mm. Yeah. 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 No, I really like that. Now, my final question for you is what is the biggest lesson you have learned in your life so far? Done is better than perfect. That would have to be one that I've learned in particular this year, like um, as I'm, you know, releasing different products and different things like that from a business perspective, what I've realized is that the time that you spend perfecting this particular offer is lost time of actually learning about what your audience wants and actually getting it done, maybe not absolutely perfect, but getting it done is more important than trying to perfect it. So definitely considering that. Yeah, I like that. Done is better than perfect. And I guess along the way, that's where you, that, like you said, that's where you learn and that's how you can make it better as you go along. Mm. Um, yeah, you can get that valuable feedback. Amazing. Well, I've really loved this chat so much. I feel like we've all learned so much from chatting to you. There's so many different health and wellness hacks and tips that we can now start to incorporate into our lives to gain that optimal health and well-being. Now, where can people find you and all your amazing work? So where should we go to consume your content, find more things, offers that you've got, products, all those kinds of things? Where can we go to find all those great things? So they can go to um, boostyourbiology.com. That's where all of my content is, you know, pretty much posted. And then also um, on YouTube, Boost Your Biology. And my podcast is the same. It's just my Instagram that's still old. That's um, ergogenic underscore health. But we can leave that linked in the show notes. But yeah, thanks again for the opportunity. It was, uh, it was fun chatting. Yeah, so great to chat. Amazing. We're going to pop all of those links up in the show notes. So make sure you check it out, guys. Tell us what you loved and learnt from this episode by leaving a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Screenshot this episode, tag us and share it to your socials. Thank you again, Lucas, for joining me on the show. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Rachel J Podcast.